On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, hey, they've always got the good oil. Pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. It is now time to have another chat on our wonderful segment, which is Monday's Experts. And my guest today is a name that I think we're going to be hearing of a lot more, especially over the winter Sydney racing. We saw him get another on the board at Metro level. I speak of Dylan, a young man who is definitely on the rise. And I wanted to talk about the story behind Dylan's name. He's now on Monday's Experts. G'day, Dylan. Hey, Dave. How are you? Very well, mate. Good to chat with you. Uh, this morning on Monday's it's, uh, another trip to t- another good victory on Saturday on a wrapper. It's uh, a nice win. It must be a good feeling in getting a win. Yeah, it was. It was a um, huge thrill, sort of. A couple good rides. Um, got scratched during the day, but albeit all my rides sort of had chances due to the claim. And, you know, I was hoping to walk away with one winner and for it to do it in that fashion. And, Come on, that horse was a little bit of a surprise, but still, nonetheless, I'll take it. Let's talk about your life, mates. We'll talk about what you know want to achieve in this. Um, there's obviously you know some big wraps around, and no doubt though up there in Newcastle, you've been quite well by Mr. Lee's and, and others around him. But is it you had never ridden a horse until you were around 16? Is that correct? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty funny one. Like uh, as a kid, ever since. I could remember I was I was always telling people I was going to be a jockey and, you know, I was always at the races any chance I got, you know, even even before I knew the difference between track work and trials, I was always trying to get to whatever one I could with Dad. And, yeah, it wasn't until probably late high school when I was obviously getting sick of school and, and didn't want to do it and spent most of my time in class on racing New South Wales instead of doing the work that I needed that Dad sort of just said to me one day, he goes, oh, do you, do you really want to do this? And, I said, yeah, and he goes, well, we better get you on a horse then. And sort of from there, we just went to a little pony club that was about 10 minutes away from my school. Dad would take me there once a week and just sort of learnt the basics and got a feel from a horse. And then from there, when that sort of took me as as far as it could, I was fortunate enough that Mal Olerton brought in a pony for me at the racetrack and I started sort of working at the racetrack every morning, saddling up and working on the ground with the horses and then Towards the end of the morning, I'd, I'd hop on that pony and take him for a little spin round. And from there, I just sort of learnt what I could. And one thing led to another. Once I rode the pony around enough, it eventually went to racehorses. And then from there, I just had to keep working on my craft and see how far I could get with it. That's extraordinary. Can I ask, um, what was the, the decision that made you, or what was it in your belly that made you want to to jump on the horse was it seeing the success that uh, say your old man and, and those around the game had had or, or what was it mate yeah I think I don't know it's funny I, I was that obsessed with it from such an early age I couldn't even tell you when it started it, it was almost as if I was sort of just born to, <laughs> with an obsession with it and from there never had any choice like if you spoke to mum or dad about it it was funny I'd, I'd sort of turn anything into a horse race if I could turn anything into a set of barriers I'd, I'd somehow do that and put little little toy horses in there and sort of yeah, everything was just revolved around racing and yeah I just never never had my mind set on anything else I was just obsessed with the game but yeah it was funny I just never never got into actually r- worried about the riding side of it and I think because 
mum and dad weren't too keen on the idea of me doing it. They weren't very, very forceful of trying to get me on a horse. So they were sort of happy sitting back and letting me just do my thing. And yeah, it wasn't until dad sort of said that day, you know, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And spending so much time on the races with him, you know, it didn't matter where the race was, whether it was a home game in Newcastle half an hour away or I was going to Coffs or Tamworth for data. It didn't worry me one bit. It was never seemed like a, a long day when I was going to the races. So I just always sort of went to the races when I could. And as you know yourself, it's it's a bug. Once you get it, you can't get rid of it. Yeah. From there, it was just an obsession that just kept spiralling. Was there ever any um, um, like maybe pushback from the from the parents overall? Because obviously, and you, your old man knows this. Your old man knows how dangerous it is. You know now how dangerous it can be. So, was there any apprehension from their behalf, thinking, right? Oh, we'll, 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 if you want to go into the pony club, we'll take you down there. But you know, we're just going to take it pretty slowly. No, nah, they were both very good. Mum would sort of have a joke and, and say I wasn't going to do it, but never actually meant it by any means and, and dad sort of he just steered me into whatever sport he could but they never never tried to deter me away from it. They obviously knew the risks and, and weren't weren't too keen on watching their, their own son do it. But they sort of also knew how, how obsessed I was with it and knew that once I had a go at I was gonna give it a red hot go. So look they they'll jokingly say they, they weren't very keen but look they were very supportive once I started. They never never, you know, let any doubt get into my mind. They were they were my number one supporters from day one. So, yeah, always had them on my side, and that just made it a lot easier for me from there. What was the, it like, uh, not so much your first race ride, but that first time you you jumped up on the horse uh, when uh, when you were taken that day to, uh, to what was it, the local equestrian pony club? Yeah, it was... Um, so we were just sort of poking them around an arena. I was only trotting again. Probably the where I got a real kick for it was once I sort of learned all the basics there, Instead of paying for a lesson, me and Dad would um, just rent two horses off them. They had probably two furlongs of just uphill paddock, and me and Dad would just go out there and punch them around. And it probably wasn't until I was poking along alongside him, just carrying one up and down the hill with him, that I really got a good buzz for it. Obviously, it wasn't going <laughs> that quick at all, but to me, it felt like we were going a million miles an hour. And sort of the quicker I went, the, the better it felt. And, and being so obsessed with racing, even something as, as little as that, it, it felt like felt like a race to me, just that feeling of being alongside someone else and poking them up the hill. And, yeah, sort of the more I got into it, as much as I thought I was really obsessed, it sort of kept kicking in more and more. And from there, you sort of... I was never going to be stopped having a red-hot crack at becoming a jockey. Yeah. Uh, do you remember your first race ride? <laughs> yeah, I do. I was um sort of let my hopes get up a bit too much that day. It was odds-on favour and being so obsessed with form I just was struggling to find a way to get it beat and obviously by none of my wrongdoing it's just burst up wet track and he sort of wasn't able to quicken off it and I remember coming back a bit deflated after running fourth and then dad goes mate you're gonna have to get used to this you got a long road ahead and he wasn't wrong one bit but yeah it was, it was the best thrill that day everything was a breeze you know everyone tries to explain to you that you know it goes quick and you think at the time it doesn't, but once that sort of passes, it's, it's amazing how quick it goes. It was where, well, you know, that Tari knew all the boys there and they were all, they all made it a, a good day out for me. So, look, even though it didn't win, you know, I probably couldn't have had a better start in my racing career. And how long after that was your uh, was your first winner? I think I got my first winner on my seventh or eighth ride. I um, had my first ride at Tari and then, 
from there. I think I just had a, a couple rides here and there, and it wasn't until me and Mum did a long trek. We had to go to Coffs Harbour on a Thursday, Tamworth on a Friday, and then it wasn't until I headed back to Coffs on the Saturday and I rode a horse called um, Ocean Ruler in the Bonville Cup at Coffs Harbour on a Tab 2 on a Saturday. And, um, yeah, that was probably probably a day I won't ever forget. And probably the best part about um, that day was someone captured a good video of Dad at Newcastle races cheering me on when I kicked my first winner home. And it was a big thrill to see how excited he got watching me ride my first winner. From that first moment that you obviously, you know, had your first winner to now, what are some of the things you've learnt and you've had to work on? Uh, so obviously you're not going to be the most perfect rider when you start. That's why it's an apprenticeship and you, you get better as you get older. What, what were some of the things that those around you were telling you that you had to work on and, and you feel like you have improved on? I think sort of the, the hardest thing is, is obviously the, you know, the physical things you've got to work on with your style and all them little things, they sort of, you find they're only sort of minor. And I think, I think the, the hardest part I found was was sort of the mental game towards it and, and how you dealt with them bad days or when things went wrong and, and just making sure you try and don't let yourself become someone you're not. And I think, you know, as much as everyone explains to you, you know that you're going to have a lot more down days than up days. It's when you first sort of have them bad couple of days hit, yeah, it's... um. It's a lot bigger shock than you think. You know, you can sit back and watch someone else have a bad day and think, oh, well, you know, they'll forget about it the next day. But sometimes that mental battle can be a bit of a struggle and it can can really dwell on you and take a bigger effect than you think. And I, I think that was sort of the main thing I had trouble with was, you know, having a bad day. Like like I said, my first race ride, I, I let that get to me and I'd only done it once. And just having to learn how to sort of deal with them little things as you go through and you know, you sort of always, you spend enough time track work and trials working on your style, but that sort of side of it doesn't affect you. That's something that everyone who's got got a good idea will tell you that, you know, as much as someone can tell you exactly how they do it, you're still going to develop your own style. So you sort of pick up them things as you go, and that's not sort of too much of a worry, but, yeah, just sort of having to deal with the the mental side of having a bad day and then the long drives and, all that sort of thing, you know, everyone can tell you how hard it is, but it's not until you go and do it how you realise how much of a shock it is to the system. Mm. What What about, um, you, you mentioned, you know, f- uh, physicality. Um, how, how do you, you manage uh, your, you know, your weight and also, you know, growing as a, as a human, you know, because you're still growing and obviously you want to get stronger and, and whatnot. So how do you, how, how does that process work for you? I was pretty lucky sort of having obviously dad in my corner who's who's seen it all and, and you know, been a jockey for a long time. So even though I'm I'm a pretty tall boy, one of the taller jockeys in the room, you know, was pretty sensible from day one and I, I set my minimum at fifty four, but I sort of walk around naturally at fifty three. So it sort of made them long days a bit easier because, you know, not having to worry about my weight from day one it's it's allowed me to sort of look after my body and it makes them long days a bit easier because, you know, you can still have a coffee and someday to get you going to the races. But, yeah, I think I think I just had a really, really good start being surrounded by Dad and, you know, he was just making sure that when we started I wasn't doing too much and not burning myself out. And even once I got up and going, he said, you know, he, he said racing's on every day. You, you know, try not to go to every meeting and burn yourself out. He said you're better off riding three, four good meetings a week than having seven average ones. So 
I just, yeah, I was just pretty lucky I had Dad on my side and he always steered me in the right direction. So just made it that, that lot lot easier and, and sort of being sensible with my weight too, setting my minimum where it was comfortable. There was no need to ride any lighter than 54 and in doing so it sort of allowed me to, you know, two or three Saturdays ago I rode in the coast at 52 and a half and, and that was sort of easy where most jockeys would struggle to get down to that weight. So just being sensible from day one and, and trying to look after my body as best as I could, it sort of allowed me to grab these opportunities and it just put me in a very good spot. What about uh, the time there in Newcastle? Um, before we sort of get on to like your, your day-to-day, you are surrounded by a really good team there, obviously, at Newcastle. Obviously, Mr Lee's as, uh, as your master and uh, the team that he's got around him. So um, you have had a really good grounding, haven't you? Yeah, I have, you know, like, I've, and that sort of helped me keep a level head too. I found knowing that I've sort of had a very good start and, you know, Chris is obviously well established and well respected by everyone in the industry and, and the same goes with Dad and, and they've all sort of got good teams around them. So being able, being able to leech off, you know, Chris's team around him and Dad's team around him too, you know, it's it's made it a breeze for me. But still, at the end of the day, you know, people give you the tools, you still got to go and do the job but yeah like look I, I probably wouldn't be where I am without him they've been a massive help to me and, and sort of helped me go on the right path we obviously see your riding winners on Saturday and we're probably going to continue to see your name pop up in in uh, in and around placings and and winners stalls for the months to come but what's the day-to-day life what was your what'd you have to do this morning did you have, you have go to the track this morning are you there at uh, at Sparrows oh thankfully I was able to sneak a a morning off. I had a big week, so I, I tested my luck with him, and thankfully he gave me a week off to get another sleep in. But look, <laughs> oh, on a, on a oh regular, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> on a regular day, though, yeah, it would just be sort of track work, and if there wasn't races on at the minute, I've been getting into golf, so I'd just come home and kick back, maybe go play golf or watch some golf. But it's pretty cruisy on days. I don't have races. It's just. You're free to do what you want from pretty well nine thirty, ten o'clock onwards. He um, looks after me well, Chris. So I just go in most mornings, punch around, a few track work, and then come home and I sort of just coast through the rest of the day and rest up looking for the race days. Mate, you should have been on the front foot there and said, "Yeah, no, you're mucking boxes. You're there, you know, <laughs> doing feeds at six o'clock at night, and you could yeah, have really well, played up then." No, I could have, I could have, but there's a few too many people who see me every morning, so, <laughs> <laughs> so someone would let out that I'm, I'm full of it, so better to be honest. <laughs> what, what, what about uh, coming to town? Obviously, we've seen a number of good apprentices in the in the in recent times uh, do what you've done, spend a lot of time uh, in the country and provincial, being sort of held back, and then when that opportunity strikes to to come to town, um, how do you? mentally prepare yourself because uh, it will be different. You, you will obviously have success, but when those bigger bigger names start to come back, um, you know, heavens aren't going to open on turns. You're going to be in pockets. It's going to be tight riding. It's going to be competitive riding. Um, how are you going to approach the next couple of months? Look, I think that's sort of where, um, you know, as sort of we try to copy what Mark's been doing with his apprentices, and I think just that where you hang on and stay in, you're sort of the country and provincial grade a lot longer than you sort of need to. I think that sort of gives you all the ground you need because, as you know yourself, there's some very, very good riders who, who ride around the country in provincial areas. So, obviously, you know, they, they might not be as big-named as your Bowman's and McDonald's and that, but 
sort of going from the bush to provincials riding against them boys, you sort of get enough of a taste and you sort of learn that them riders who are, the, who are sort of the best in their area, you know, they, they don't give you too much room. And obviously it's going to be a little bit different in town, but I think just being held back through each stage and, having, you know, being surrounded by enough good riders in the areas I've been in, you know, it's sort of once I've gone to town and had them little little days in town, you sort of realise it's, it's not that too much different, you know. You just sort of got to just readjust to the new areas and, and sort of learn your riders and, and their tendencies and how they like to do things. But things do flow a lot better in town too, so you can sort of see things before they're happening and you're able to work out where you need to be or where you want to be. And, yeah, you can sort of trust the riders around you will take you into the race and, and go where you think they're going to go. Are you a big... Um, I mean you're obviously sick for the game like we all are which is you know the best thing it was it was you were born into it and you've got the bug well and truly but in terms of doing your form are you right into analyzing your form and and obviously you know you get some jocks that would you know do form on on their particular rides for the day and their races and get right into it others will sort of you know be a bit more casual about it doesn't mean that they don't have the same success but everyone does their own thing differently what about yourself yeah look probably probably being so obsessed so early I've always just naturally sort of take everything like a sponge so I'm, I'm pretty lucky that you know I, I just I'm always watching the races and, and take a lot of things in but sort of going into to race days and that I'll obviously have a good look at my horse if I don't know it which is which is sort of rare but even then you still watch their replays just to refresh your mind but you know um, I just sort of like to print off the speed map and sort of mark the dangers and just know where they are and because there's a lot of variables you know I sort of have a look to get a rough idea but I try not to look into it too much because when I first started I was sort of really doing it over the top and and trying to expect where each horse was going to be and usually nine times out of ten once the gate opens that got flipped on its head so I've sort of slowly adjusted how much I've done to it I, I used to be really obsessed with it and obviously still have a really good look now and sort of know what's around me but instead of trying to, to work out where exactly everyone's going to be I just print that speed map off as a rough idea and know where the dangers are if they're outside inside if they're going to be forward back and and sort of from there it's just adjusted to having a rough idea where they might be and then just trying to pick your spot from there because you know a lot can change out of the gates and you know them speed maps they're as good as they are as a guide you know they're, they're not set in stone so just had to sort of adjust to, to knowing that it's you know not going to work out exactly how it looks. Exactly right by the way we're chatting with Dylan Gibbons this morning on Monday's Experts. Uh, Dylan let's talk about uh, life before being a rider so if you've always been into sport were you if you hadn't got into riding could, could we have seen you running around for the nights or something like that or was it always racing? Oh, I think I would have laid down like a cat if I played for the night. I was, and, uh, our family's always been sort of from a soccer side of things. My um, grandma, she was from Manchester, so she's a Manchester United girl, and my granddaddy was from Celtic. So we've always um, we've always been um, soccer fans. And yeah, no, if if I wasn't in racing, I probably would have had a good crack at um, being a soccer player. I sort of had a little go at rep and all them sort of things, but as I was getting a bit serious with that, I was getting time to have a red-hot crack at racing and was never going to go any other way. But, yeah, I sort of played most sports growing up as a kid, but soccer was the was the main one. The other, I'd play cricket and all them other sports just with my mates. But, yeah, soccer was probably my go-to behind racing. Who did you play for, soccer, mate? I played for my little local team called Thornton 
Devils, and then from there when I went to rep, used to be a team called the Hunter Valley Hawks. So I sort of played that rep level. They were just the tier below you, your top teams like your Jets and all the the big name team um, lead up clubs. But yeah, that was sort of who I played for, just the local teams. And, and what about um, the you know the, the fact that you, you you mentioned you wanted to give soccer a red hot go? What position did you play? I was sort of either a left wing or once I got a bit older and wasn't quick enough, I sort of filtered back into the midfield. So I was sort of just in control, just sort of trying to control all the boys around a bit when I was playing. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Chatting with Dylan Gibbons this morning on uh, the uh, Monday's Experts a podcast and program. Now, let's go back to Hunter Day last year. Um that was the biggest time you had. Uh, they were the biggest races you were in at the time, weren't you? And what did you take out of that day racing in front of your home crowd? Oh, just I sort of took away how good it feels to ride a group winner. And yeah. <laughs> ever since that day, that oh, I look back on it and it just went too quick. And all that's made me do is want to want to ride more feature races because um, you can't explain that buzz. And it was quite funny. You talk about the crowd and excitement that day. It was when I won that feature race on Festival Dancer, sort of getting to about the 200, 150, it was just sort of usual horse racing. All you could sort of hear is the wind blowing by. And from about the 100 onwards, it just felt like the volume just got cranked right up and it went from having no crowd to the crowd right on top of me. And that was sort of a buzz. Yeah, I wish you could bottle up and keep because, yeah, that was an unreal feeling that day. Uh, that was, that was of course, Festival Dancer. Um, was that the, you know, the... the- the plan, obviously, with that particular runner. I mean, just roll forward. It wasn't on speed type. You you did the same thing at Goulburn, didn't you? Um, before that Newcastle ride. Yeah, exactly. She um, it was funny. She was sort of a horse that took twelve or thirteen goes to eventually win a maiden, and and when she did, Matt sort of just placed her well. She found a bad race and was able to lead and, and win okay. And then sort of her next start, I wasn't able to ride her and. Same again, just well placed, and, and she just won. You know, okay, just got the job done, and sort of the start before the Group Three, when I got on her, she was just a different horse. She was switched off in the yard, and then when we came to the gate, she just towed me around there, and then yeah, it was a mile race and not much speed, and I was happy to lead on her. But that day, she just pulled me the whole way, and we just were going that half second, nearly a second quicker than I wanted to, and. That day when I asked her to quicken up, she somehow quickened again and, and made an absolute mess of him. It was real arrogant. And I remember when we found out we were riding that day and able to get on her, you know, sort of my manager was saying, oh, you know, she's only won her races, but she's having a crack three off fillies. And I said, even saying to Matt, I said, look, I said, she's probably only won average races, but I just love the way she did at the start before. It was just arrogant, dominant. She just was a different horse. And Going into that day, I was happy to take the same plan. And with the win wreaking havoc that day, no one sort of wanted to be in front. But thankfully enough, if there's a headwind in the straight, you sort of get a tailwind down the back. And in doing so, everyone was sort of trying to grab hold and, and really get cover, which made sense. But to us, I was able to free roll, sort of put a bit of a margin on him. And, and being a sort of tough filly she is, once we sort of had that margin on them and, and put two or three lengths on them at the top of the straight, as they all peeled out and make their runs, they just got whacked in the face with a headwind and they were just wasn't they weren't able to pick her up on that day, thankfully. And yeah, it was a, it was a huge thrill. Extraordinary stuff. Uh, what about 
the plan for winter. So we're going to see you popping up down here. Is it is it a matter of that you'll just be taking, you know, as many as you can get, or will it be quite selective in who you ride for over the next couple of months in Sydney? Yeah, the sort of plan was we're going to try and wait right till the end of the season, just, you know, obviously with the three kilos, I'm, you know, probably nearly halfway through getting through that three, and we wanted to just try and save what we could into the next season and, and really make a good run of that apprentice title and, as it's sort of working out at the minute, there's just too many sort of good opportunities bobbing up at the minute. So our plans have sort of gone out the window. We we sort of don't know what way we're on approach at the minute now. But look, you sort of got to in this game, you got to take your opportunities as they come. So we'll just sort of be taking it week by week at the minute now. But obviously, very soon I'll, I'll be a regular in town and we'll start heading towards the the Wednesday meetings and so on, and then try and use that claim to our advantage and then see where we can get with it. So you ride at Hawkesbury tomorrow. Of course, if you're listening to this on podcast, we're recording this on the 23rd of May, so the 24th of May, Hawkesbury. And then you ride in Sydney on Wednesday or no? No, no, not because obviously we weren't going to go till a bit later and it right. sort of worked out with what horses Chris has got and being his apprentice, he wanted to, to take us to town and you know claim off some of his horses. So that, that's why we weren't able to sort of let people know we could ride the Wednesday and, you know, obviously not knowing when we're Chris is ready to unleash us, we'll, we're just sort of taking it week by week. So I won't, yeah, I won't be there this Wednesday. I will be in town Saturday and then I honestly wouldn't, couldn't tell you where I'll be the next week after that. So, look, my manager, Luke and Chris, they'll keep talking and, and work that out between them and I'll just go whatever way they point me. It's a, it's a good way to be, mate. Just uh, take it as it comes. What about your dreams and goals personally? Um, obviously, you've you've seen your, your father have a successful career uh, as a rider. What do you want to achieve? Oh, look, I'd love to to have a, a red hot go at it. You know, trying to trying to hopefully once the claim runs out, to be able to establish myself in town and and be a regular rider down there. You know, I'd, when I sort of wanted to be a jockey, I, I didn't dream about just sort of winning races. I was always wanting to win the big races. And, as a kid, I loved watching Frankie Dettori growing up. So watching his success, it, you know, the, the big dreams to obviously win their group ones and, and hopefully be the top rider, top rider in, in you know, in the, in the state. And uh, obviously, I'm going to give that a red dot go as I can. You know, you may fall short, you may not, but you won't know until you have a go. So look, the the main aim is to to get right up there and, and try and establish myself and. Look, while we got that claim, I've got to try and do do everything right and, and make the most of it. And hopefully that can put me on the step going forward once I lose that claim to establishing myself on my own right without a claim and, and hopefully build up some connections there. Before I let you go, Dylan, how old are you? 20. Bloody hell, it doesn't sound like I'm talking to a 20-year-old. I'll give you the tip, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now that are in the same boat. You've got a very, very good head on your shoulders, and I wish you all the luck, mate. Um, thanks for coming on and having a bit of chat about your life, and good that you can give the old boys there from Thornley a bit of a shout-out to the soccer boys, mate. Um, good stuff. No, no worries. Thanks for that, Dave. No dramas. Dylan Gibbons there, a name we're going to see plenty of, 20 years of age. 20 years of age, didn't uh, didn't speak like a 20-year-old, that's for sure, and looking forward to watching his career progress over the many moons to come. It's 11.31 on Sky Sports Radio.